0: My son, pay attention to my wisdom. This is the intro. we got a lot to get through. First one. My son, he's getting our attention. This is his intro, so we're going with it. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen closely to my understanding so that you may maintain discretion and your lips safeguard knowledge. Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip, honey, and her words are smoother than oil, in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood. And as sharp as a double-edged sword, her feet go down to death, her steps head straight for Sheol. Now this warning is repeated at least four other times in this book. The wise father is getting our attention, is saying, hey, 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 listen, clapping, saying, look at me, let me get your eyes, hear this hear this you should think about the equivalent of jesus when he says truly truly that's hey 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 all right i got you listen listen why because you will be tempted every son every daughter that a father has and speaks to will be tempted sex was given as a gift from god a good gift so sexual desires are present in you because you're created by the one who gave us this gift but but since the fall our first parents rebellion and the following curse sex is corrupted been corrupted into a god or into something gross so because of God giving this gift sexual desires are present but because of the fall sexual temptation is present speaking smooth words with honey lips but what seems sweet ends bitter and devastating and deadly so the wise father warns of the ditches of this life it's so seductive yes it's alluring yes enticing but in the end It leads to destruction. So the wise father warns of the ditches in life, but the father of lies tempts. Do you see this here? Do you see the the temptation, the seduction, making forbidden sex look sexy? Making bitterness look like honey? Honey? But real honey doesn't leave a sour aftertaste. It never does. Sexual temptation is present. Everyone's going to be tempted. So he's saying, pay close attention, listen to my words, hear me, hear me. John Mark Comer, in his book, Live No Lies, says our, our deepest desires, usually to become people of goodness and love, are often sabotaged by the stronger surface level desires of our flesh. This is exacerbated by a culture where the widespread wisdom of the day is to follow our desires, not crucify them. But in reality, be true to yourself is some of the worst advice anybody could ever give you. Here's why. Giving into the desires of our flesh does not lead us to freedom and life, as many people assume, but instead to slavery. And in the worst case scenario, addiction which is a kind of prolonged suicide by pleasure. In America, we're not starving to death, we're feasting to death. Prolonged suicide by pleasure. And so what does wisdom respond with? Verse seven says, so now, sons, listen to me Don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Verse 8. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. So keep away. This is the wisdom. Keep away from sexual temptation. Keep away. Sin, especially sexual sin, is not meant to be flirted with. It's not something to, to play around with, to flirt with. It's attractive. There's a certain charm about it. Always try to draw you in. It's inviting, seductive, tells an alluring story. But the more you feed it, the more it grows. And the more you give in and feed those desires, the more you'll feel that you need them. You need this. You have to have this. You can't live without this. And the more that happens, the easier it will stay. The easier it will be to stay entangled, trapped, ensnared, harder it will be to walk away and kill. The wisdom is keep away from what tempts you. Keep away. For some of us, very practically, this means we've got to restrict what we're looking at online. We need to create our own firewalls. We need to create our own borders. We've got to understand our limits and know that Google open, unsafe search is just not wise. Others of us need to quit watching certain TV shows. Others of us need to qu- quit scrolling through social media because after three hours of it, it leads to what? Some of us need to watch what social situations we put ourselves in, what people we put ourselves in, what drinks we put ourselves around. Some of us need to switch jobs if it's become easy to flirt with sin. So keep away. Keep away. But then seven verse uh, chapter seven paints this picture of a, a young, kind of naive person who gets just kind of walks around temptation and then it gets pulled in by it. So so not only like if you know if you're aware you know where sexual temptation is keep away. But what happens if you get there? What if you, if you come around? If you stumble into it? If, you, if you're just foolish and ah, I'm here now, what now? Run! That's what? Run! Run! If you haven't kept your distance, now you're close in proximity. Get some distance! Run! Run! Speaking of sexual sin, continuing in, in chapter 7, verse 27. Solomon states, can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on burning coals without scorching his feet? So is the one with the one who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Flee, don't flirt. Run. But but it's not just fleeing from, it's what you're fleeing to. So, so flee from sexual sin But flee to the Savior. Keep away from sexual temptation, but stay close to the Father. That's what he's saying. This is the wisdom. Because you're going to be tempted. My children, listen up, he's telling us. So, what do you do? If you're aware of it, you stay away. If you come close to it, you flee, you run. And then, not just away from, but to the best, to what's better, to what's more beautiful. flee run what, what does that mean? Definitely the proximity, the location, the closeness, the, the physical closeness you are to the temptation flee. but also it means when it's in your in your heart, it's in your desires, how do you run from your desires that are in you? Because everywhere you show up you're still there. what do you do? Now well, fleeing also means confessing your sin to death taking it to the Lord repeatedly, turning from it. Growth growth doesn't usually look like clarity and then no sin ever. It usually looks like clarity and then regular repentance until that thing's put to death. Confess it to death. Fast from those items that are leading you towards temptation. Reorder your loves and delight in the Trinity above everything else. Now, I'm not saying anything new to you, but I'm going to talk about these things. We've talked about them multiple times. I'm going to keep going through it, but we've got something else as well. Confess your sin of death, fast, reorder your loves, feast on God's word, live in honest community, sharing your weaknesses and your sin. Ray Ortland, in his book, The Death of Porn, states, You'll start getting free when you start getting honest no man is helped by nicey nice hypocritical words like i slipped up today if you look at porn be honest enough to say to god today i entertain myself with sexual exploitation or today i join in the abuse of a woman call it for what it is fight it kill it put it to death flee from it because Jesus is worth it and your family is worth it. And if you're like, man, this sounds like a lot of effort to get away from these desires. Yeah. Verse 23 says, he dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly, he is led astray. You can be like that foolish young person in chapter 7, just no discipline, kind of wandering around, Leads to death. 1 Corinthians, Paul says, flee. Flee sexual immor- immorality. Run. He says in 2 Timothy 2 this way, flee from youthful passions. And what? So not just run from, but where are you going to run to? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Keep away from sexual sin. Stay close to the Father. But also... Flee from sexual sin and flee to the Savior. But that's not it. I, I feel like I've talked multiple times, many times, in application in specific sermons about sexual sin. But what I think I have not done a good job in is this second part. It's talking about, okay, if I'm going to flee from this and I'm going to flee to Jesus, is there something else? And there is. There's more in Proverbs 5. It's not just stay close to the Father and distance away from your temptation. It's not not just flee from sexual sin and flee to the Savior. It's also flee from sexual sin and flee to your spouse. Run to your spouse. That's verse 15. Look at it with me. Proverbs 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streets in the public squares, streams in the public squares, they should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth, a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. This is wisdom. Do you hear me? Why, my son, would you lose yourself with a forbidden woman or embrace a wayward woman? So you you not only flee to Jesus, you also flee to your spouse. Meaning your sexual desires should be fulfilled in your spouse. And if they can't be, they should be crucified. Does someone in the back want to hear that again? Okay. (laughs) Oh, thank you. All of your sexual desires should be fulfilled in your spouse and if they can't be, they should be crucified. All your energy for sex is to engage your spouse Pursue your spouse. Love your spouse. Enjoy your spouse. The best defense is a great offense. I think Charles Barkley said that once, but (laughs) keep quoting Charles. The best defense is a great offense. I'm honest, though. If you want to fight sexual sin, enjoy your spouse. Did you hear me? That's a, that's a practical, real way of how you flee. How do you run from this? You run to what God has given you, your spouse. And if like, well, that's hard work. Yes, I get it. Because we're talking about the bedroom, but so much starts 12 hours before the bedroom and three weeks before the bedroom and your life and your day in and out and your relationship and your intimacy and your openness and your care. So yeah, that's a lot of work, to cultivate a godly sex life in your marriage when you can have trash at an instant with no effort. When you can have the wayward person, you can have the dripping honey in an instant with no hard labor. But wisdom would say, yeah, yeah, it's so easy. There's no effort there. It's honey. Ah, it just looks like honey. It's going to leave a bitter aftertaste. It's going to lead to shield. It's going to go into destruction. Now, if you're married, if you're not married, then, then, you follow in Jesus and Paul's footsteps. Using that energy for God's glory in His ministry. Now that's that's a whole nother sermon. We got to keep talking about this. So we talk about sexual sin, but I really want to see the wisdom for godly, beautiful sex and marriage. In Song of Songs, the the greatest hits of 1000 B.C. Uh, the greatest R&B hits of 1,000 B.C. Says this to a husband and wife in chapter 5, verse 1. Says, eat, friends, drink, be intoxicated with caresses. If you'd open up, you would see the headline right above that is narrator. I think that's God. And if it's not God directly, it's definitely him indirectly because it's in his word, Right. But what God is doing is looking down and rejoicing in the erotic, passionate love of this husband and wife. It's his idea. So sex is not bad. It's a gift from God. And if you're surprised this is in the Bible, you also be surprised about the chapter before it, chapter 4 in Song of Songs. That's where we're going, okay? Let's go. 20 minutes on what good sex life in marriage looks like, okay? Song of Songs. Chapter four, let's go. This is the man, he speaks first. How beautiful you are, my darling, how very beautiful. Behind your veil, your eyes are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats streaming down Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn sheep coming up from washing, each one bearing twins. And none has lost its young, amen. Your lips are like a scarlet cord, your mouth is lovely. Behind your veil, your brow is like a slice of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, constructed in layers. A thousand shields are hung on it, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that feed among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will make my way to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are absolutely beautiful, my darling. There is no imperfection in you. Bless your spouse with your words. That's what he does. Communicate your love for your spouse. He starts with behold. He's like wow. Talks about her eyes. There's an innocence, a beauty to her eyes, a mystery that lie in there. Her hair. She has black, lush, flowing hair like goats coming down from the beautiful mountain of Gilead. I'm not into that thing. He is, though. He loves it. Big fan. Goat hair. Loves it. Teeth. She's got all of them, and they're white. What a catch. What a catch, this gal. Neck. Dignity, power. She's got a necklace on a thousand shields. That that means she's not timid. She stands tall and graceful. Why should she be? She's in the presence of her doting husband who loves her, who adores her with intense passion and specificity that that like her, he knows her. Where what he does is he, he takes an inventory of her body and says, I like this and I like this and I really like this. And this is not internal. This is communicating to her face. This is him telling her. It'll happen two more times for her and then one time she will do it and we'll all get rosy cheeks and blushing, right? But she's not afraid. And at this time in in culture they would do this at a wedding in public, a celebration of physical beauty. And each time the descriptions all stop with the, the object of the speaker's erotic attention. And he stops at her breast, and he spends the most time there. He uses 38 words about her breast, and coming a distant second place is 30 words to describe her teeth. (laughs) Breast and teeth. That's what kind of man he was, okay? This should make you a little bit squirm. Why? Because we're prudes. The Bible is not. The Bible is not prude. This celebration of the woman and her sexuality is no different than God in Genesis 1, creating things and each day saying things like, I like this. Oh, that's good. It's the same thing. Oh, and he creates male and female. What does God say? That's very good. When God brought brought Eve to Adam, he sings to her. Adam does. This is woman, flesh of my flesh. He breaks out in poetry, and this is what God does. He he sings over us. And then here the, the, the husband is singing to his wife, blessing her with his words. So husbands, bless your wife with your words. Wives, bless your husbands with your words. If Psalm 139 is true, then you should say to your spouse tonight, hey, God has made you wonderfully. God has made you beautifully. He knits you together. It may feel awkward for you, for her, but this is godly encouragement that only you can do. And only you should do. Do you hear me? But if you don't, in this world, someone probably will. And that's not their place. It's your place to tell them. Tell her. God did real good, didn't He? Take an index. But don't just we don't just praise beauty. We see in Proverbs 31 a list of character, a list of serving. We see a list of of, of all that, that this wife brings into the, the relationship. Yes, and so I, I don't see, but we do also from From this proverb, talk about beauty. Talk about looks. Take an index and tell your spouse what you love about them, what attracts you to them. Communicate your love. Bless them with your words. And then two, communicate your desire for them. Verse 8 says this. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the peak of Amana, from the summit of Sanir and Hermon from the dens of the lions, from the mountains of the leopards. You have captured my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captured my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful your caresses are, my sister, my bride. Your caresses are much better than wine, and the fragrance of your perfume than any balsam. Now think about her lips compared to chapter five of proverbs your lips drip sweetness like the honeycomb my bride honey and milk are under your tongue the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of lebanon this this culture this is his sister his bride this is that that sister that's his cultural way of talking about this intimacy and how they viewed one another but again you see the bible is not prude. He he now invites her to be intimate with him in verse 8. He says he's captivated by, by her. We'll come back to that in a minute. In verse 11, love, that's, that's dode. That's, that's erotic love. gets very passionate. So this is not prude at all. God is not prude. Sex is God's idea. It's a good gift to be received how it was intended. But what I love about this, the song, That unlike every magazine on the checkout line at the grocery store, this isn't about technique. This isn't about gymnastic skill or 105 ways to please your husband with all these little techniques. What what makes it good is not technique. What makes it good is their love, their doting desire for one another. It's the safety of the marriage the tenderness with one another, their communication that makes the sex good. When we do premarital counseling, we usually, well, we spend a whole session talking about sex in the gospel, but we also get to particular things like honeymoon. And the conversation usually goes like this, hey, let's talk about your expectations. Because what you see, what you've heard, what movies you've watched make you think this is supposed to be X, and I'll just tell you, it probably won't be great, and that's fine. When we make it about the performance, when we make it at about skill or technique, we miss the person we're there to dote and love. Because why we're thinking about it, we're thinking about us, we're thinking about what we got to do. And they are just doting on one another, caring for one another, talking about their desire for one another. And in verse 9, when he says captivated, that's just one word. And it's like he's saying, oh, my heart. He's in awe. Wow. She's stolen his heart. His heart is torn up. He's crazy about her. This isn't just the body to him. This isn't just selfish pleasure. She isn't some two-dimensional woman on a screen. This is his bride, his sister, that term of endearment, his beloved. Outside of marriage, what we do often is objectify one another. Men objectify women. They just become bodies of pleasure. Women objectify men. They just become options and opportunities for a romantic relationship. And then we get into marriage, and we don't have that selfless, pleasure-giving security of what a godly marriage and godly sex was designed to be like. Our sin makes our relationship about us, and we make sex then, therefore, about us and not about the other. Being captivated by your spouse has more to do with you than them being awesome or beautiful. Like, you may be like thinking, what I need to do is go help my man look a little better after this, so then I can actually take an index and say, I like these things about you. But what needs to happen is your thought life and what you look at and what you fantasize about, what you emotionally play with. Those are the things, the small things that lead to big trouble and heartache. When your energy, your desire, your affections are focused on your spouse, you'll be captivated by each other. One author says, we are made for one man or one woman, and we are to be captivated only by them. So communicate, 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 it's going to change. No, communicate your availability to your spouse. First 12, my sister, my bride, you're a locked garden, a locked garden and a sealed spring. Your branches are a paradise of pomegranates with choices, fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the best spices. You're a garden spring, a well of flowing water streaming from Lebanon. And then 20 times in this section, the word my is repeated. Both the husband and the wife repealize speak in this way of of mutual possession and oneness. Blow upon my garden. I came to my garden. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. Let my beloved come to his garden. Sex is unity, oneness. It's passion. It's mutual possession. You become a part of me and I become a part of you. I give my whole self to you, and you give your whole self to me, and we become one. One. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You give me pleasure, I give you pleasure. This, this is good, godly sex, guys. And it's fiery, hot, and awesome. So I don't understand the frowns. We need, we need to recapture the sex narrative. You know why? Because this is God's idea. The world can't touch this. They're, they're wielding a weapon that was a gift. And they use it as a weapon to use others and be users instead of givers. We've got to recapture that this is a beautiful thing from God that we should not worship as a God or stay away from because from it's, it's gross, but dive into with all the erotic passion of Song of Songs. So if you, if you haven't seen the three points yet or thought about them, I'll just point, paint it this way. If you want to kill your sex life, don't talk about it. Every point has been communicate, 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 right? If you don't want to grow, if you don't want to get better, if you don't want to give yourself more wholly to your spouse and vice versa, shh. Just be quiet. Assume things. Import your baggage. Don't talk about it. back to premarital counseling, what what we were usually break down the the conversation down into is let's let's talk about some expectations, about frequency, about quantity, about quality. And what we, in that conversation was, okay, we talked about some of this, but you you really don't know until you get there, so let's have that conversation again. And then also you you need to have that conversation ongoing because seasons change. New kids change things and new jobs change things and moving change things, but you need to, have this conversation about frequency and quantity and quality and what you desire and what you're longing for. And then lastly, talk more. Communicate with your spouse. Communicate your satisfaction in your spouse. At the end of chapter 4, the woman says, Awaken, north wind. Come, south wind. Blow on my garden and spread the fragrance of its spices. Let my love come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. His response, I've come to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gather my myrrh with my spices. I eat my honeycomb with my money, with my honey. Uh, I drink my wine with my milk. And then God speaks, eat, friends, drink, being intoxicated with caresses. In the Song of Songs, sex is at the center, Literally. There are 111 lines to the song before verse 16 and 51 and then there are 111 lines after. This is literally the crescendo, the climax of the song, which is another reason why I think 51 is God speaking. Eat, drink, have your fill, be drunk with love with your spouse. This is God singing of his approval of their love. Saying, yes, this is what I created this for. Enjoy this. What I'm trying to say is: God approves of your passionate love, and so should you. You should communicate your satisfaction in your spouse. You should tell them. in verse 9, I talked about captivated, but in verse 7, there was something that we skipped over I want to come back to. He says to the wife, there is no flaw in you. But in chapter 1, this woman has already said that her body is flawed. She points out a few things about herself in chapter 1, but his response is, no, 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 there's no flaw in you. When he takes his index and he looks at his wife, From her eyes, to her hair, to her teeth, to her lips, to her cheeks, to her neck, to everything. Seven body parts that he speaks of. Seven is the the number of perfection in the Bible so often. And so he lists seven things and then says there's no flaw in you. Husbands, when your wife, Is the only object of your attention and affection, this is easy to say. But when you're distracted, diverted, when your sexual desires are going askew, are getting pointed at women or people that are not your spouse, it's really difficult to say. You know what becomes easier to say? I don't like this about her. I don't, this thing annoys me, Uh, always this, is this ever going to change, we begin to say, ah, woman, 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 let me list some things about you, babe, let me list some things, here's some negative things, let me look you up and down and list seven bad things about you and talk about all your flaws, but the crazy thing is, thing about the whole saga songs is that Jesus says the same thing about us as his object of attention and affection this motley crew with all of our brokenness with all of our sexual sin with all of our past God says there's no flaw in you <laughs> I love you guys but I know myself, and I think I know you pretty well. We're, <laughs> We're a broken bunch, aren't we? And yet God loves us. Yet he delights in us. And yet he takes an index of us. So there's no, there's no flaw in you. In Ephesians 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Why? So that he might present the church to himself. How? In splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Holy and without blemish. That God sees us in Christ because he's washed us with his grace and sees no flaw in us. God's grace is the antidote to our sexual brokenness, but it's also the fuel to enjoy godly marriage and godly passionate sex lives in marriage. The story of Song of Songs points us back to the the Garden of Eden, where sex was without shame. But it also points us forward to another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, where your Savior, your Redeemer, chose to drink the cup of God's judgment towards sin, towards our sexual sin. and gave us the cup of God's grace. Jesus sacrificed his body for the sins you've done in yours. Jesus perfectly worshipped the Father in his body because we worshiped other gods in ours. His grace means that the price has been paid for. You owe nothing and any sort of sexual shame from sins you've committed to the sins committed against you. Jesus, despised on the cross, took your shame and gave you Grace. in the gospel, the sexually broken can be sexually restored. Why? Because Jesus is saying, I am making all things new. So this should feel a bit emotional. Feeling the, the weight of some of us, feeling the weight of our sexual sin. Some of us longing for missing out on what this gift we were given from God was supposed to be and, and we fumbled it. And our marriages don't look anything like the song of song four. But There's also this beauty of God's grace that is working towards both. As working to wash you clean remove the stains of your sin to remove the stains of those things that have been done against you and then also the grace to fuel you to pursue your spouse to engage your spouse to communicate your love to communicate your desire to communicate your satisfaction your joy My sons, my daughters, pay close attention. This wisdom from Proverbs 5, 7 to Song of Song 4, this wisdom is good news for you. This wisdom is good life for you. Everyone has choices. by his word, God confronts us, leads us, and at this point, says, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go with this? What choice are you going to make? What what path are you going to take at this fork in the road? Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for speaking to us and working in us and leading us to show the path of wisdom, to show the path of foolishness, show the path of beauty and joy and love and passion, and then also show us the path of counterfeit, fake, superficial temptation, desires, So, Father, I ask that you would get our attention, lead us into wisdom, that you lead the many decisions that need to be made now, and then the many decisions that need to be made moving forward. By your grace, Lord, in Christ's name, amen.